Welcome to Eucharist Church. .ca. .ca. So we are past halfway now through the season of Lent, working our way through the book of Exodus and looking at some of the stories in Exodus that perhaps we spend a little bit less time in. Stories not just about leaving uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but what happens when you're in the wilderness and you don't have anything to eat or to drink? Uh, stories of approaching God, not in uh, just his liberation, but in his terror, in his unknowability. Seeing that dark cloud and pushing against it in faith, knowing that there is a goodness on the other side. Today, uh, we're going to be picking up after the giving of the Ten Commandments, uh, sort of moving past Moses' journey as he's now gone into the darkness up on this mountain to meet with God on Mount Sinai, uh, but staying with the people down below, those who saw the cloud of fire and smoke and saw the mountain ablaze and said, we don't want any of that. Like, we're gonna stick with the people that are more like us. We're like, we're good, we love you, Lord, do not want any mystery or fire necessarily. Like, it's a little frightening, it's a little too much. Send Moses on and we'll just hang out down here. What happens when we, uh, when we sit back for the 40 days that Moses was on the mountain? Uh, what happens among the people? And to do that, we're gonna be talking about idolatry because it is the theme of the text this week. And I want to name up front that when you talk about idolatry, things that are idols, images uh, made in the image of, made to be in the image of a god, or the image of a spirit, or the image of God, uh, if we're doing it right, we're all uncomfortable. If you're naming idolatry poorly, then we all even say, not me, because like, you know that's, but if we're naming idolatry properly, then it has to be something that we're all engaged in to some degree. Because idols come about as we all participate, and yet we find that new gods and new distractions emerge among us. And so just a warning that there's going to be some uncomfortable stuff in this, and I want to bring this with a humility, because um, I want to open this text, and I want to bring us into the text, and we can trust the text. And then a part of preaching and pastoring is trying to bring not just the text, not just us into the text, but to bring the text to us. And I wouldn't respect my pastor if they weren't honest, if they felt that this text said something pressing today. And so I hope that you will, um, even if you disagree with me, that you will at least hear that there's a, an honesty and a humility that I want to bring as we attempt to see what some of our idols may be today. Okay. So Moses goes to the mountain for 40 days. And then we end up in Exodus chapter 32. You are welcome to read along. There's plenty of pew Bibles. I also will read slow. And uh, you're welcome to just listen. This is often how God's people have heard the scriptures read. It's just in a worship gathering with their eyes closed, patiently attending to the words. So either way, uh, we will be in Exodus chapter 32. And the people saw that Moses lagged in coming down from the mountain. And the people assembled against Aaron 
Side note, Aaron was one of Moses' kind of key leaders among the Israelites. He was the one who left with the people. The people assembled against Aaron and said to him, Rise up, make us gods that will go before us. For this man Moses who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. And Aaron said to them, Take off the golden rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people took off the golden rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he took them from their hand and he fashioned it in a mold and made it into a molten calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And Aaron saw, and he built an altar before it. And Aaron called out and said, Tomorrow is a festival to the Lord. And they rose early on the next day, and they offered up burnt offerings, and brought forward communion sacrifices. And the people came back from eating and drinking, and they rose up to play. So we'll pause there before moving on in the text. So what's happened so far? They've got all this gold, all this jewelry that they brought with them out of Egypt. They're told, throw this in the fire. They make a calf. But when Aaron sees the calf, there's this interesting thing he says. He says, tomorrow is a festival to the Lord. So they've got this golden calf, but Aaron is still worshiping the living God, the God of gods, the God on the mountaintop. He has simply allowed another god to come as well. The, the Jews, especially at this time, are not strictly monotheists. They believe that there are many gods, but all the gods are nothing compared to the god of gods, compared to the Most High. But there may still be other gods, and so they make this calf, and he says, Behold your gods, and of course he means the god on the altar, the god of gods, but also this little other god, this calf. Sure, the calf maybe is a spirit that helped us exit from slavery. And so you see already the drift that's occurring from God saying, Make no other gods before me, I am the god of gods, like, compared to me there are no other gods to now another image alongside the place that is meant to remind us of the God of gods who cannot even be seen or made into an image. And you get this line, the people come back from eating and drinking and they rose up to play. I feel the need to just press upon us. The play was not like jacks, you know? It's not like, and they rose up and they were like, all right, we're gonna skip rope over there. We're gonna, hey, Jax is back, let's go, you know? It was, uh, play here is used as sort of a catch-all for a rowdiness, a wildness, a giving over of themselves to who they don't even yet know. But it would have involved eating and drinking and fighting and arguing and all sorts of sexual activities, which as this playing 
becomes more and more unhinged, more and more incoherent, further and further adrift from anything that looks like life, it will lead to all sorts of violence among the Israelites. So we're going to skip ahead now a little bit. There's a whole section in here about then Moses up on the mountain, hearing about what's happening, and Moses begging God not to let these people be destroyed by their own wickedness. And then as Moses goes down, he hears a sound. So this is now in verse 17. Uh, Moses runs into Joshua. Joshua would have been waiting at the base of the mountain for Moses. He sort of would have met Moses first before Moses went down to see Aaron and the rest of the people. So we're in verse 17. And Joshua heard the sound of the people as it shouted. And he said to Moses, a sound of war in the camp. A sound of war in the camp. And he said, not the sound of crying out in triumph. And not the sound of crying out in defeat. A sound of crying, I hear. And it happened when he drew near the camp that he saw the calf and dancing. And Moses' wrath flared, and he flung the tablets from his hand and smashed them at the bottom of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made and burned it in fire and ground it fine and scattered it over the water and made the Israelites drink it. I have no idea what that means, but I love it. It just feels right. you got to get your idolatry into you, you know? I don't know what it means, but I love it. Okay, back to the text. And Moses said to Aaron, Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you should have brought upon it great offense? And Aaron said, Let not my Lord's wrath flare. You yourself know that this people is in an evil way. And they say to me, make us gods that will go before us. For this man Moses who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. And I said to them, whoever has gold, take it off. And they gave it to me. And I flung it into the fire, and out came this calf. And Moses saw the people, that it was let loose. For Aaron had let them loose as a shameful thing to their adversaries. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so in this story, we've got the creation of this golden calf. And it leads the people into madness. And I want us to think about that for a moment. Think about what would lead people into madness. What is it about a golden object that simply staring at it would lead to incoherence, would lead to breakdown? And maybe you're not imagining this scene properly. Because we read it, and, and the, the literal translation is, you know, he goes down, he sees dancing. There's a lot implied in this, and there's a lot that would have been picked up by those who were reading this story and hearing this story. Because what's happening is madness. Picture riots in the street. 
Picture like a sports game when everything's going crazy. Picture a Tiger Cat game when everything is going a little crazy and you feel like you could be on the edge of violence. That's that feeling of collective attention. We hardly know what collective attention is because we don't have a lot of places where we gather and we give our attention. But when you have hundreds of people, thousands of people, tens or hundreds of thousands of people giving their attention to something, it shapes those people. It was only like a decade ago or so that in Vancouver there were riots after a sports game. You were there. I'm sure you felt it then. And, th and this is people, when they talk about riots, they always describe this, the feeling of a room moving. We are no longer individuals making choices, but the room is beginning to decide something all on its own. Those who are easily swayed are now being joined into some collective movement that we do not know how to pin to one person. And before long, there's a breaking point where it snaps, and we have seen in human history, neighbor turn violently on neighbor. Out of the blue. We've seen hostility and resentment explode into violence in the streets. When we picture this camp, we ought not to picture them having a great time worshiping this calf. They are breaking apart as they do this. They are losing their minds. They are brawling. They are drinking. They are numbing. They are assaulting. This ledge that Moses has to go through just to bring order back to the camp, if you read ahead, will show you how violent and unhinged the people have become, or in the words of the text, how loose. They've been let loose to their adversaries. And those adversaries are not a physical group, but those adversaries are some sort of spirit, some sort of idea, some sort of energy that has moved among them and caused them to lose themselves, all because they looked upon this gold from Egypt that has been turned into a calf. And in an image-deprived world, uh, certainly they were image-deprived. We can hardly imagine what it means to be image-deprived. Because we are image-assaulted. But they didn't have many images. And something about this image was so arresting that it snapped them, it gathered them, it caused them to break apart, and it caused violence and harm and brokenness, all because of idolatry. Are we tracking so far with just the kind of beat of the story? Okay, so let's go to Aaron for a moment. I don't know what happened. I took the gold off of them, I threw it in the fire, and out popped this calf. Maybe you've heard people talk about that before. This is a detail that people pick up in the text. And every time I've heard someone talk about this text, they've written Aaron off as some sort of bozo. They've written Aaron off as someone who's maybe trying to lie to Moses, or to deceive him. And I want to suggest that I think that is not necessarily what this text is implying. Things sometimes just happen, don't they? Things just begin to occur. Patterns begin to emerge, and we don't always even know 
why they're emerging. We live amongst patterns, patterns of thinking, patterns of travel, the way that we move about our cities. If you were to zoom out on our cities, we look like ants going into restaurants, going into buildings. We just, we play out invisible patterns that we cannot understand because we are in them. And so the people say, hey, here's our gold, and he throws it into the fire. Certainly that is not a faithful act of a living God. But is it so strange to imagine that as they are making a mold, one of them might make, uh, actually the word is a stylus, <laughs> make a stylus, something long and slender, and someone else makes one, and suddenly it begins to look a little more like a calf. And once it looks a little bit like a calf in its horns, well then suddenly the head looks a little bit more like a calf. And, you know, again, image, de uh, an image, uh, a, a culture with very few images. They begin to project on this gold that is emerging. What is it that is naturally coming about? What God wants to manifest among us? What spirit wants to manifest in this God, in this idol, in this gold? Is it so strange to think, like, think about abstract art. Somebody looks at an abstract painting, and they say, uh, that looks like a cat. Somebody else looks at the abstract painting and goes, yeah, that does look like a cat. A little bit like a cat, you can see it at the top. And then someone else goes, yeah, at the top it's a cat, and there's the cat. Oh, I see its tail. And before long, someone's saying, that's a cat. And someone else is hearing, oh, that's a cat? Yeah, that's a cat, that's a cat, that's a cat, that's a cat. And then if you're the Israelites, a couple minutes later, you're saying, Hail, cat! Hail! Worship, cat! Worship! Is it so strange to think that these human beings just like us were putting gold into a furnace and without any one of them making it happen, an idol begins to emerge? Something that looks enough like a calf that they begin to fashion it a little more like a calf until when it's brought forward and placed before the altar, everyone sees that it's a calf. And that feels far more frightening to me than Aaron just being a bad guy. Because if one person's a bad guy, you can remove the bad guy. But if there is an idea, a spirit, a god, a force, whatever you want to call it, if there is something that wants to manifest itself, and it does so not through one person being evil, but through everyone being ignorant, and everyone being a little bit to idolatry, that is a far more frightening idea. Now, anything can become an idol. Any object, a book, a screen, food, career, anything that you want, a promotion can become an idol. But every idol serves an idea. Every object serves some idea. And ideas isn't far from the language of Scripture that everything serves a God. Everything serves a spirit. And as materialist people, in a very materialist culture, we don't have much language for this. But I think that we ought to start reclaiming some of this language because we do live in a world 
of gods. Andy Crouch, who is a brilliant Christian author, wrote a book called Playing God, and he talked about how gods or idols, think about something in your life that kind of grabs your attention, wants your attention. He says gods, idols, function by first giving more than they take. He gives the example of alcohol. If you're going to a party and you're nervous, you might just be like, I'm going to do a shot or two before the party, and that'll help me find myself and loosen up. Or you might go to the party and, you know, immediately go for a drink. And he says, at first, that God, that idea, gives more than it takes. But over time, an idol begins to take more than it gives. You need more of the object to reach the same euphoria. And before long, the idol will take far more than it gives, and it will start to come, not just for the one it has grasped, but for those around them. And I, please hear me on this. I know there's lots of noise, there's lots of distractions, it's totally fine, this is church. But hear this, this is Andy Crouch, what he said. Gods, false gods, have an insatiable appetite for children. We know this from every ancient culture that ultimately would sacrifice their children. False gods and idols have an insatiable appetite for our children. Now where the heck are you going with this, Kevin? Because this is just completely esoteric. Okay. So let me, let me tell you a quick story then to maybe bring this idolatry home and, and attempt to name one. When Neva's mom was in the hospital the other week in ICU, there was an emergency prayer meeting called, uh, a Compline service called on the Friday night. Compline we typically hold at 9 p.m. I got a text at 8.20 saying, let's pray, shall we pray Compline tonight for Nina's mom? And I thought, oh, I was going to watch a movie tonight. And I spent more than a few minutes seriously considering not going to pray for my beloved sister and co-pastor's mother because I had planned to be entertained by a big black mirror in my home. I had planned to give my attention to electric pixels flashing and dancing on a wall in my home, and that was competing with me giving attention to the God of gods for the sake of my friends and their mother. In the last 10 years, there is only one idol I have seen invade our world and swallow us up. It is these little black screens. Now I am not condemning individuals in this. I'm not condemning anyone. I simply want to be courageous enough to say humbly what I see. If you told me that aliens were invading in 2010, you said aliens are going to invade, they're going to have little alien pods, 
And in 10 years, everywhere you go, you will see people putting their face into the alien pods. I would say, that's impossible. I would have been wrong. I don't know precisely what these devices are. I know the Latin word that device comes from means to divide. It's what device comes from, the etymology. And I see what these devices are doing to us. And I know that these devices may serve many ideas, but I also know that these devices don't really care what I look at on them. They don't care what music I listen to. They don't care which politics I hold. They only care that I look at them, that I touch them, that I let them feed me in my news feeds, and then I feed them images of my life and my children. And I don't know exactly what to make of this, but I, I suspect even as I'm talking about this that some of you are feeling itchy, and I know this, this is a first-hand confession, that when we talk about these devices, some of you might feel right now tempted to pull out your device and look at it. What's that about? <laughs> I thank you for laughing, because that tells me that I'm not the only one. What is it that when we name this thing, and how this thing wants our attention, in the very moment in our psyches, we feel it trying to get our attention. We feel it, attend means to reach towards. It reaches towards us. And so I want to name that. And I want to invite us to meditate on that. And not just for our sake, but for our children. You do not need to look far to see plenty, plenty of warning signs that these devices want our children they want to colonize their imagination. And I do not know what we ought to do with that, but I know that we cannot willfully ignore it. We cannot willfully ignore it. If we attend to God, and we do not ignore what else competes for our attention, God is faithful, and God is just, and God will provide exodus and freedom for each one of us and for every child we love. If we do not attend to them, we will say, we don't know how it happened. We just took our individualism, and we took our free market capitalism, and we took our lack of religious orientation, and we took our need to be entertained, and we threw it in a furnace, and out came this calf. Thanks be to God that we have one greater than Moses, who does not meet with the Father on the top of the mountain, but meets with the Father in the heavens of heavens, 
Christ already at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us so that we will not be destroyed and we have nothing to fear. Christ is presently praying for us and moving our world and the spirits among us to call us into worship and realignment and wellness. May we hear his voice and may we wait patiently for his return.